All right, so tonight we will be in Matthew chapter 26. It's just a place where I happen to be going through in my devotion time. And we're just going to be going through eight verses together. This is, most of your Bibles will probably have a little title. If I can find where the section starts here. Verse number six, the anointing at Bethany. There is a, just by way of a quick intro, there is a similar story in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Most scholars believe that the one that we'll be in tonight is the same account as in the book of Mark, and possibly in the book of John. There are some differences in John, so not everybody is sure about that. And then Luke, most people think the one in Luke is a little bit different, but the interesting thing is that all four of them teach us the same important lesson. I mean, you can say there's more than one lesson, but definitely there's something that will emerge in all four. And so apparently the Holy Spirit who put it in the Bible in four places really wants us to get this. And so tonight we'll just be in the Matthew one, as I mentioned, just because that happens to be the one I'm going through on my own. So Matthew chapter 26, verse 6, if you don't have a Bible, you can get one from Mr. David in the back. I encourage you to follow along, and we'll just go verse by verse through these and see what the Lord brings out and, um, you know, sort of brings to the surface for, for each of us. Starts out by saying that Jesus was, verse 6, he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper. It goes on to say that he was sitting at a table with folks. Um, in one of the other accounts, there were some other people present. Again, we don't know if it's the same exact account, but there may have been Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and others there. But he's, he's around the table with his friends in a house, if you can picture that. But I want to just point out real quick what was going on in, in Jesus' life at the time that he goes into this house and sits down to spend time with his friends. Let's just go back real quick to the beginning of this chapter, chapter 26, and I'll read verses 1 through 5. It says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he was speaking to his disciples, teaching them a lot of stuff. After that, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man, that's him, will be delivered up to be crucified. And so Jesus knew going into this time, hanging out with his friends, that he was about to be arrested and killed. Verse 3 says, Then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And so behind the scenes, a plan was indeed being put into motion by the enemies of Jesus. And by the way, what's going to happen right after these eight verses that we're going to read tonight, after his time hanging out with his friends, verses 14 and 16 tell us that. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver Jesus to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. 
one of the people closest to Jesus. As it was prophesied in the Old Testament, this is when it, when it was coming to pass, Judas was looking for a chance to turn Jesus over to the religious authorities so that he could be brought to court and executed. But that's going on, that's sort of, this time with his friends is in between those, right? It's in between him knowing, as God has shown him, he's going to the cross very shortly. He's going to be arrested. And also, behind the scenes, people are plotting, including Judas, one of his close friends. But yet he took the time to focus on the ones that he loves no matter what was going on in his life. And that's a good example for us, right? It is a good example. But what's way more important is that it, it reminds us, it demonstrates to us how important Jesus' friends are to him and how important you are to Jesus. And by the way, did you know that the Bible teaches that Jesus calls you his friend? <coughs> I hope I don't lose my voice tonight. I'm just getting over a cold. You can pray for that. The Bible says in multiple verses, I won't list them, but if you're interested afterwards, I can point you to some of them or you can ask each other because I bet you guys can think of some where Jesus specifically calls you his friend. And so whatever's going on around him, Jesus is focused in on his friends like you. Now it it's mentions in this verse, verse number six, that he was in a certain house, the house of a guy named Simon who it gives him the title, he was known as Simon the leper. <coughs> Excuse me. Most likely Jesus had healed this guy. He went around doing what was impossible at the time, which is healing a disease called leprosy. It was like a terminal, you know, a terminal sentence when somebody had that. But Jesus most likely had been the one to heal him because he was healed. He was having people over. And Jesus comes in and spends time with him, with this guy that had formerly been an outcast. Now, always remember when you read about leprosy, a great deal of time is spent in the Old Testament talking about it and talking about how it needs to be handled very carefully and how it's a picture of our sin. It's a picture of our sinful nature. And so when I read this, it's a reminder that he's in Simon the leper's house and likewise, I'm really, I'm really uh, thankful that he comes and he dines with me. He's not a respecter of persons. He should have nothing to do with me. And he should have nothing to do with you. Because spiritually speaking, we're lepers too. And yet he tells us in Revelation 3.20, I'm standing at the door. I'm knocking on the door to your house. Just open up and I want to come in. I want to dine with you. I want to fellowship with you. Verse number seven says, a woman came to him, came to Jesus in this house, having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil. She poured it on his head as he sat at the table. Almost kind of a, an awkward picture, right? He's sitting at the table, most likely sharing a meal with his friends, and a woman comes up spontaneously and dumps perfume on his, hair, on his head. Mark chapter 14, 
where we have the parallel account. This is in verse number three. It says it was very costly oil of spikenard. <coughs> spikenard is mentioned in the Song of Solomon a few times with that picture of the bride and the groom. The bride being the church, the groom being Jesus, but also Solomon, King Solomon and his bride at the time. You could kind of picture it or kind of think of it like it's the best of the best, the most costly, the best thing that you could bring to help celebrate a wedding. And people say that it's, it's from India, it's grown in the Himalayan mountains, it's hard to get and to distill down into this perfume. So again, only the best. And so this can be something to remind you and to remind me, is there something very costly that I can give to the Lord? Not necessarily with money. It could be costing me something else, time or just giving something in my life that's hard to give. But is there something that the Lord might want me to pour out to the Lord? Such that she, excuse me, she poured it out on his head. Some people think this may have been her dowry, in other words, at the time, and in some cultures today, the, um, the woman who's to be married one day has a savings built up to contribute towards the new family when she gets married, and it was a really important part of that. So scholars, many scholars believe this was probably her dowry, because it was worth a lot of money, as we'll see in a little bit, or it was an inheritance that she had received. Either way, it was a whole bunch of money this thing was worth, it was a huge sacrifice. I mean, think about that, actually. If it was her dowry, what is the sacrifice? Besides the money that we'll talk about shortly. What's that? You have to say it a little louder. Her life, yeah, well, that's true. Her future life, right? Possibly her future marriage, possibly. But she's gonna leave that to the Lord, right? If it's an inheritance, similarly, yeah, she's given up her future, in a sense, some of her future. She's, but we'll, how about we'll say it this way? She's exchanging it. She's not just losing it. Mark 14.3, again, the parallel account, it mentions that she broke the flask and she poured it on his head. People, if you, you can read commentaries and stuff, and they'll try to describe the vessels that they used at the time. I guess it had like a slender neck that you could break, but that was kind of like the no going back, right? You break it, and that vessel's done. You can't close it anymore. She broke it and poured the whole thing. At the time, it was most likely that what they would do with this kind of very costly perfume or oil is to dab it like you might do today with cologne or perfume, right? You just take a dab or some kind of essential oil. You just take a dab, right? She's breaking it and pouring the whole entire thing. And there's moments in your life and in my life when God gives us an opportunity to worship him in a very unique and sacrificial way by breaking something open and giving it all to him, which is an act of faith, by the way. For her, it was a total act of faith, and for you it will be too. But that's precious to the Lord. And it may be when you're first saved, something that he calls you to do, to give up or to give to him or to, to pour out to him, or to make him a part of in your life, or it may be at other times during your walk with him. It reminds me of Elisha, 
If I was in a home Bible study, we'd be sitting in a circle, and I'd say, hey, can somebody read this passage? But since I'm up here, I'll just read it. Pray for my voice. This is in 1 Kings chapter 19, if you'd like to turn there. It's funny, my, my Bible, it has the, it's a pocket Bible. The print is so small. They actually call it large print because for a pocket Bible, it's larger than average. And I'm just really fighting. I'm really fighting, like trying not to admit that I'm going to need glasses eventually. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse number 19. This is when Elisha, not to be confused with Elijah, his mentor, his soon-to-be mentor, when Elisha was called by the Lord. It says in verse 19 of chapter 19, So he departed from there, he being Elijah, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the twelfth. Then Elijah passed by, passed by him and threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen, and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. And so, I don't know if you caught that, but that was his livelihood. That was his way of life. That was his work. That was his own business. He had these 12 oxen plowing crops, whatever those crops were. And what he did when he got the call from God is he took the yoke, which is a piece of equipment to keep the oxen all harnessed together. And it says that's what he used to cook the meat. So he took the oxen themselves, cooked them, and then he also... The way that he did that was by taking the equipment and torching it. And then he walked away and left it behind him. He burned it. Not saying you should always do that with your, with your nine to five when you get called by the Lord. In some cases, that's true, but very rarely. But what is it in your life that might be similar where the Lord wants you to give it all the way to him? But that's what she did, this woman. She broke the flask, broke it all the way, and poured out the whole thing. Whether it was her dowry or her inheritance, whatever, whatever it was, it was something significant to her. Verse number eight, but when his disciples saw it, Jesus' disciples, they were indignant. Indignant? I think that's how you pronounce it. They were indignant, saying, why this waste? These were Jesus' disciples. This woman, we don't know to what degree she knew him, but most likely these, these 12 disciples, they knew him, they were closer to Jesus. They, they knew him more. They were better friends with him. But they were indignant. Made me think about um, David, King David. Remember when he was what I'll call worship dancing? I'm not a dancer, by the way. My wife will tell you that. But, I, but I'm, I'm okay with dancing. I give it the green light, for, even for men. I'll say that. Even, well, Osagi, that's a man that can dance. 
by the way. But I condone dancing because David is, there's an instance back in uh, 2 Samuel 6.14, I'll read a couple parts of it, where he dances before the Lord. But that's what this reminds me of because the disciples saw what this woman was doing. They didn't understand it. We'll, we'll, we'll see a little bit more, you know, what they thought about it. But they were indignant. They were like, they were, they were like, what is going on? What is she doing? How can she be doing this? They were up in arms. So I'll just read this. You don't have to turn there. Second Samuel chapter 6. The context is that King David had tried to bring the ark to Jerusalem, which represented the presence of God. And some of the folks that were bringing it treated it a little too lightly, didn't follow the prescribed manner of treating it in a holy way, and they died. And so he ended up storing it at another man's house for a while. And he was very fearful at that, po- that point. He had a great fear of the Lord kind of go up a notch. He heard that that man's house was exceedingly blessed because the presence of God was there. And so he said, okay, maybe this is a sign. It's time to bring it in. So he did in a very careful way, sacrificing along the way every few steps. And then at that point, it says in verse 14 of chapter 6, 2 Samuel, then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. It goes on to say in verse 16 that his wife, Michal, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord. Notice it, says, it keeps repeating, before the Lord. He was doing it unto the Lord. But she despised him in her heart. Verse 21, so David said to Michal, it was before the Lord. Therefore I, therefore I will play music before the Lord. And I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. These 12 disciples were missing what the Lord was doing. They were almost trying to block it. They were almost trying to block what the Lord was doing. And that's a scary thing to think that I can do that too. It makes me remember um, back in the day, I used to live in Southern California where I grew up. And I remember at one point I was working for a pizzeria, Lucadia Pizzeria in San Diego. I was a delivery driver. I might have been a waiter at some point, but I was mostly a delivery driver. I had just gotten saved. And there was another guy that had just gotten saved. He was younger than me. He was very young. Um, And there was one day where he gathered all the people that worked there, and he brought them into this little narrow hallway, and he just started sharing the gospel with them, all of them. And I felt awkward in my heart, kind of like what it said about Michal, how she despised what David was doing in her heart. I found myself like that because I was a little bit embarrassed. You know, he was a Christian and I'm a Christian. They probably know I'm a Christian. And now he's like, he's getting them all together. He's sharing the gospel. Everybody else is feeling awkward. But the Lord had to check my heart. And he changed my heart on it. And I, um, I realized, you know what? This brother, the Lord is calling him to do this right now. And it's pretty awesome that he's stepping out in faith and he's doing it. Um, Another example that I just thought of actually just happened today. A friend of mine just came into town, and uh, he was telling me earlier that he took a taxi to the airport, and when he got in, I forget how the conversation started, but the, actually it was an Uber, not a taxi, but the the woman driving just immediately, it was like 4.30 in the morning, the woman just started talking about the Lord, (laughs) not knowing 
that my friend is a Christian. She was just talking about the Lord. Everything he'd say, she would, you know, she would tell him her testimony. She would tell him she'd pray for stuff in his life going on. She was a brand new believer. She had just gotten saved. And as he was telling the story, I also found myself thinking, wow, yeah, that's what happens. It's a new believer, you know, that's how they are. And then the Lord checked me again, and I'm like, you know what? This is something to celebrate. This is pretty cool. And in fact, my friend was doing the right thing. He actually told me, he said, you know what? I, wanna, I asked her where she goes to church because I want to go to that church. This is in a different state. But he's like, I want to go to that church. I want to be around people like that. And I was like, you know what? Amen. But when I find myself despising what someone is doing for the Lord, maybe it's differently, different than I would do it, or maybe I don't understand it, or I don't realize what's, how God is, is working in their life, it would be wise to go to God privately and talk about this, you know? Because it may be that I'm missing what God is doing right now. At this time of the woman back in Matthew 26, there were people, some people, you know, as Jesus ministered and went through the land teaching and healing and um, ministering to people, some were coming against Jesus. Some people were indifferent, which is like the modern day today, right? But there was this one person at that moment, at least, this woman who was worshiping him. And I don't know about you, but I want to be one of the ones that is in tune with what God is doing at a given time. It mentions in this verse, where are we at? Verse number 8 in chapter 26. What the disciples said was, why this waste? The end of verse, verse 8. And I'll quote a brother named Charles Spurgeon. He says, is anything wasted which is all for Jesus, it might rather seem as if all would be wasted which was not given to him. And I'll say that one more time. This really, this really spoke to me. Is anything wasted which is all for Jesus, it might rather seem as if all would be wasted which was not given to him. And so some people in your life might not understand why you're doing this thing for Jesus, whatever the thing may be at the, at the time, but that's okay. There's a book um, that I started reading some years ago. It's called Don't Waste Your Life. <laughs> I love these bold titles. Title, some of the book titles get your attention. It's by John Piper if you're interested. But I don't want a wasted life. That concept is a good thing, right? Don't waste your life. Not to condemn us, but just to kind of provoke us unto good works. Like, we gotta be careful. We can be on cruise control. We can miss what God's doing. We can have a wasted life. And unfortunately, there are times I could, I could take out my pen right now and start to make a list. There are times after I became a Christian, not just before I became a Christian, but after, that I've wasted money, time, opportunities, etc., etc. And so when God gives you an opportunity to pour out your life for him, do it. Verse number nine, for this fragrant oil, this is what the disciples said about what she was doing. Again, they're missing what God is doing. For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. That is a true fact, and that is a good thing. That would be a good thing, right? This time I'm going to quote our beloved Pastor Steve. He's got some good sayings, you know. 
They really lodge in there. But this one you, you may remember. This is good to remember when you're making a decision in your life or when you're thinking about something like they were. It may be a good plan, but is it God's plan? It may be a good plan, but you need to seek the Lord, pray about it. Is it actually God's will? Is it his plan? And so it's true. They could have sold it, given the money to the poor. That would have been a good thing, but that wasn't what God was up to at that moment. Verse number 10, but when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. It says Jesus was aware of what they were saying, kind of behind his back, right? And so he's aware of what you pour out for him. A hard decision that you make in faith that you do for him, he's aware of that. And he's also aware, by the way, of those who trouble you over it. As it says here, why do you trouble the woman? There may be people in your life, Christians or non-Christians, that try to block that. And Jesus is aware of that. But he says, she's done a good work for me. Does that remind you of a similar passage? It might remind some of you of the passage of Mary and Martha. Remember? I'll read it real quick. Luke chapter 10. Make sure, my, make sure I have it all here and it didn't get cut off. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him, Jesus, into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. So God had chosen a good part, as it says, for her, for, for Mary at that moment. And it may be different for someone else in a different situation, but for her, that was the good part that was needed. And similarly, with that story of Elisha burning his livelihood, burning his, the yokes and burning the oxen and walking away to follow the Lord, that was his good part, to torch that, torch his life, his old life, and follow the Lord. With David, the good part at that moment in that situation was to do that worship dance before the Lord. I've actually tried that, by the way, when I'm alone with the Lord. It's okay, nobody, it's just between me and the Lord. I'm glad my wife doesn't see it. She might, no, she wouldn't despise it, but she might laugh. But here, God had given the woman with the alabaster flask a certain good part to give all that she had at the time, or at least most likely, most if not all that she had, over to Jesus. The parallel account, again, back in Mark chapter 14, verse number 8, it adds a little clarity here. <laughs> Jesus said, she has done what she could. She has done what she could. It's like with the widow and the mites, right? The Lord 
will have something for you. He'll give you an opportunity to pour something out to him. Whatever you can might look different from the person next to you or from another time in your life, a different season or a different chapter. But he calls you at that moment to give what, what he's calling you to give, to give what you can. I'll just read one verse from 2 Samuel 24 because this reminded me of that as well. This is David again, and this is when somebody offered to give him some land for the Lord. And he said, in response, this is uh, 2 Samuel 24, it's also in 1 Chronicles 21. He says, nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. In other words, I will not give an offering to God that doesn't cost me something. It's going to cost me something. That's going to be valuable to the Lord. That's what I want to give to the Lord. Something that costs me something. And so as Jesus said to this woman, or said about this woman, she has done what she could. The thing that she could give him that cost her, that was precious in his eyes, that's what, that's what she gave. Verse 11 says, For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. You guys probably are already aware of this, but just got to say it anyway, a little disclaimer. It's not a bad thing to give to the poor. Jesus is not saying ignore the poor, but he's just saying at this moment, the good part, so to speak, is what she's doing right now. That was God's plan, what she's doing. The good plan was to give to the poor, and that is a good thing, but it wasn't at this moment the thing that God was doing. Verse number 12, it says, Jesus is still speaking, for in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. The parallel account in Mark 14 says, she has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Whether she knew it or not, or how much of it she knew, the Lord had sent her in advance to anoint him in preparation for him going to the cross and being buried. Uh, John chapter 12, again, this, many scholars think this is a, a parallel account. It may be a separate incident, but it, may, it most likely is a parallel account. John chapter 12, verse 7, Jesus said, she has kept this for the day of my burial. What she gave to him, that costly sacrifice she gave to him, she had kept it for, this, for the day of his burial, this future day. She had faith that he was going to go to the cross. He had been talking, by the way, to all his disciples for a while now about his upcoming trip to the cross, how he would die for everybody's sins, be buried for three days, and rise again. But she was the one that realized what was going on. He, is, he really is going to the cross. He had just told his disciples, in a couple of days I'm going. And she came, and she had kept this. She had set this aside, this sacrifice that she gave him, and she had reserved it for this. Whether Again, whether she realized, fully realized that or not, with the Lord's prompting, she had kept this. And then when the Lord gave her this opportunity, she poured it out to him. Verse number 13, and this is the last verse we'll be in tonight. 
Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Checkmark, this promise that Jesus just made in verse 13 just came true tonight. <laughs> because we're talking about this sister and the woman in this chapter. We're talking about her tonight. Jesus knew that the gospel in the future would be preached all across the world. And that's how anybody in this room that is born again, that's why we are, because Jesus made sure that the gospel would eventually make its way to everybody. But also, part of that, the Bible, and in particular, this story of this woman's faith and sacrifice is making its way around the world. This is like 2,000 years later. The promise of God. That's just a little side note reminder that every promise of God is yes and amen. You can bank on it. You can trust his promises that the more of you that you pour out, the more of your life that you pour out to Jesus, the more you will receive back the most abundant, adventurous life of companionship with him and the family of God. And that's based on some other verses I don't have time to, or actually I didn't have time to look up. But that's, those are some other promises. And so this promise, just like the rest of his promises, you can bank on. The more you pour out your life to Jesus, the more you will receive back in this life and the life to come. The promise that this woman would be spoken of in the future, including tonight, gives you assurance of his other promises as well. Now, Pastor Steve, on Sunday and also the Sunday before last, he mentioned First um, Chronicles 28.9, right? Does anybody, now he did this on Sunday, so this may be easy for some of you, but does anybody remember the three things that are from this verse that Steve was saying we have to remember to really make sure we're doing? First Chronicles 28.9. That's right. Pastor Steve was up here. He used to say this. I don't know if he does anymore, but sometimes he'll say, I'm going to give you a gold star. I've never seen him do that yet, but I think maybe he is planning to give out these gold stars at a future date, but that's what you would get. Know God, serve God, and seek God. And Pastor Steve mentioned that the first two are very common, right, for us as Christians, to know God and to serve him, but the seeking part is often lacking, and I can confess that's the case with me as well. Last Sunday, he also, I mean, the bulk of his message was really about how grace, this is from Galatians chapter 3, I think the way he said it, correct me if I'm wrong, I may be slaughtering it, but he, he kept repeating something like, grace is my life breath, is that how he put it? It's the breath of my life, it's my life breath? Somebody help me out here. I think that's the way he put it. Grace is my life breath. So really, having a life of seeking God, having a life of just, Knowing his grace, I like to say embrace his grace, just breathing that, and then also take that alongside with what we've been in tonight, just looking for ways to live that life of worship, looking for opportunities to pour out your life to the Lord. <clears throat> 